0: morning. Thank you for joining us here in the sanctuary to worship together, and if you're joining us uh, online via the live stream at home, we're glad that you're worshiping us. Worshiping, please don't worship us. We're, we're, We're glad that you're worshiping with us, even from home. Surely, of all people knows, I am unworthy of worship. No doubt. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to 2 Samuel Chapter 18, we are going to continue our journey going verse by verse through this book. Now remind us, this is God's word that has spoken to us that we might hear it and receive it by faith. 2 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 19. Then Ahamaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that Yahweh has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then Ahamaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahamaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and told the king, and the king said, if he is alone, there's news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. The watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gate and said, see, another man is running. But running alone, the king said, he also brings news. The watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahamaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he is a good man and comes with good news. Then Ahamaz cried out to the king, all is well. And he bowed before the king and his face to the earth and said, blessed be Yahweh your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite came, And the Cushite said, good news for my lord the king, for Yahweh has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man, Absalom? And the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Would I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And it was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard that day the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face The king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters, and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by Yahweh, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose, took his seat in the gate, and the people all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And the people came before the king. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're gathered here this morning. We're gathered here to know you. We're gathered here to serve you, to worship you, to sing praises to you, to make our requests known to you. We're also gathered here that you would reckon with our guilt that you would remove our shame, that you would work your renovating power in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our past and in our present. Lord, would you change us, transform us, renew us? May we hear your voice today amidst all the clutter and distractions, of the world around us, would you give us focus would you give us eyes that we might see and ears to hear and hearts that delight to receive what you have for us? We make these requests known to you because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in whose name we offer all of these things. And all God's people agree. Amen. Amen. Leaders Fail. Big important leaders, tiny little leaders, regional leaders, national leaders, global leaders, church leaders, parents who are leaders in their home. We fail. And it is hard when we fail, yes? Not all of us grieve our failure if we're really honest about our lives and our egos, there are many times where we have failed, even dramatically, and we do not grieve. But in God's mercy at times, he shows us our guilt that we might bring it where it belongs, into his courtroom. As we come today We are going to see David wrestling with his failure, with his current failure, with his recent failure, with his past failures. We see David broken today. A man battling himself, his heart, past decisions, present decisions. And it is always difficult for the followers when the leaders fail. It is always difficult for the loved ones of those who fail. And theologically, I think we're all sophisticated enough to know that we're going to fail, that we have failed, that we are failing one of the questions we ask then is how are we to respond to our failures that's a personal question but it's also a corporate question how do we as followers respond to the failures of our leaders how do we in a society how do we in a household how do we in a church or a school How do we respond to the failures of our leaders? It is an intricate, complex, difficult exploration. We will not be fully satisfied by the end of these 45 minutes, okay? We're not going to be thorough and exhaustive in this. We're going to start with some truths that you can take home and wrestle with. And apply. But as we come, we come knowing David has sinned, is sinning in his office as king, in his household as father. David has many failures, many difficulties, but he is the anointed king of Israel. And as such, those faithful to Yahweh have marched out and fought in his name for the preservation of David's kingdom, which we know is God's kingdom. But David is not holding the kingdom in his eyes. He can't see past his son. He can't see past Absalom. So let's see this unfold. Be ready for failure. Be eager to see how we should respond to failure, or at least to see one pathway forward. So as we begin, we come understanding that the battle's been fought, it's been won, and the narrator of this story is very disinterested in the actual battle. Three verses, that's all we got. But the aftermath of this battle... It's going to take pages and pages. So here we go Ahamaz, the son of Zadok. Remember, he's the messenger from before. He was one of the two hiding in the well so that they could bring the necessary information to David. So here is this youthful, zealous young man, eager to serve, eager to do what he's commanded to do, eager to take part in these victories. So Ahamaz, the son of Zadok, the priest, says, Let me run and carry news to the king that Yahweh has delivered the king from the hand of his enemies. Can I do it? That's what he's asking. Can I do it? Can I be the one? And as we'll see in a bit, he must do this often. He's probably fleet of foot. He runs fast. He even has a memorable and distinguishable gate. As he strides towards the gate, his gate is recognized by those standing on the gate. You like it? Can I take the news? And Joab, the military general whose armor bearers killed Absalom, says, you are not to carry news today. But I'm good at it. I like it. No. No, not today. Not this package of information. There's plenty of news I would want you to bring. This is not among them. You are not to ca- Is there anything that is, you know, hidden behind what's happening here? Are these clear instructions? Is this a meandering no? Is this a beat around the bush decision from a leader? This is like no, no. And then he clarifies what he means. You may carry news another day. Not this one. Today, I don't know how you get more clear than this, You shall carry no news. And like all good young men, why? Everybody knows the why is coming, right? So he gets a preemptive answer to the question everybody knows is coming. Young men filled with questions. That's a good thing, often, not always. So why can't he carry the news today? King's son is dead. Does this mean he's never allowed to bring bad news? He's never allowed to make the king sad or angry or upset? Joab knows something about David that precludes him from wanting his good friend's son to be placed in a position to bring news to the king. What happens to the messengers who bring bad news? We even have colloquialisms about this, right? You walk in and you say, hey, don't don't shoot the messenger. Be mad at the message, not the carrier of said message. Is David a mighty warrior? Does he have a sword nearby? Is he good at throwing spears? Do powerful men take bad news well? There's a question for you to think on. But Joab doesn't want the son of his friend in danger, so he cannot carry the news. So Joab says to the Kushite, to who? To the Kushite. Who are the Kushites? Now, sometimes people jump really quickly to strong racism here. I don't think that's what's happening. Not that there isn't any racial element to this, there is. But any of the ites, not Israelite, would be good for this position. He's not going to put the son of his friend, who's a faithful priest, to David at risk. So he grabs a semi-outsider rather than the innermost of insiders. And he gives him the instruction. But who are these Cushites? Well... The Cushites were a people who were named after the oldest son of Ham, whose name was Cush. They generally are considered to live or come from Ethiopia, which is south of Egypt. We remember that Moses married a Cushite woman, so the Midianites and the Cushites had strong relations. Sometimes these are considered Nubians, those who are in kind of northern Sudan in Africa. They are often quickly referenced in our day as the Sudanese. So there's ancestry here and there's ethnicity wrapped into this. Of course that's true. But it's not, ooh, I hope David kills this guy. But he's more willing as a general to put him in danger than to put the son of Zadok in danger for right, for wrong. It's more about nepotism than it is about racism. I just want us to be clear about this point. And in fact, sneak peek, the minor character of this Kushite runner is one of the great heroes of this story. So watch, listen, learn. But Joab says to the Cushite, go tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bows before Joab and runs. This is a man who understands that the person in authority over him has given him a job, and he's going to carry it out faithfully. So he does. Bow, turn, go. He's off. Then Ahamaz, the son of Zadok, says again to Joab, come what may which is a great song lyric. Come what may. They're now on the same page. He understands that David's not going to take this news well, but he doesn't care about the outcome. He cares about the opportunity. This is the heart of many young men. Can I be faithful? Can I be the one that God uses? And they will end that prayer... Come what may, they love truth. They love service. They are not afraid of danger. Even when maybe they should be, they are often not. This is honorable. This is valor. But it's also foolish. He has asked, he has been answered. Every parent knows this trick. You have asked me, what was my answer? Did I lack clarity? Why are you still asking? Because I want a different answer. Well, you're not going to get a different answer. Okay, I'm going to go ask mom. No. Right? To his credit, he goes back to the same authority instead of trying to find a different one that can weasel his way into what he wants. Kids, no. That's all we have to say about that. Parents, you're welcome. They will never disobey again. (laughs) (laughs) Failure. The Cushite bows and runs. He brings up, Ahamaz brings up the question again. And Joab says, why will you run? You got to come what may, let me also run. He might just want to, like, get the energy out of his legs or something, Right? The message is going to get there, it's going to be given correctly, it's going to be given in a, in a form that David can understand and appreciate and react to, but he just wants to run, maybe compete. So Joab asks him, he presses him, why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? you think you're going to get an invite to the king's dinner table tonight? Like, What do you think the prize is? For telling David, his son is dead. Why do you see this as a high and noble calling? Come what may, I will run. So Joab's like, fine, go die. I did my best. I got no blood on my hands. Run. You're going to run? Run. You're going to disobey? Disobey, go. Get out of here. So uh, Ahamaz... Runs and he runs by the plains and he outruns the Cushite. So he takes a different route that the geography of their day tells us was a wider route, but it was faster. So it's like a highway that takes you longer but doesn't have the stoplights of the forest, shrubs and trees, and you're dodging and weaving in and out of traffic. So they're off, both of them, to the races to bring David the news. So David is sitting between the two gates. And the watchman went up to the roof by the gate on the wall and he lifts up his eyes and he sees the runner coming. This is the most tenuous moment for those who are left behind because if there are many runners, they run in defeat to try and get to a place of safety. If there's one runner... It's good news, because it's a messenger, not a battalion retreating. So they're looking, and they're straining their eyes, and they see one stick figure running alone, and as soon as he's running alone, all their hopes go up, all their hearts start thumping, and the watchman calls out and yells to the king, if he's alone, there's news in his mouth, duh, He's a messenger. So he comes nearer and nearer and nearer. And the watchman saw the other man running. And the watchman called to the gate. I see another man running. But he's alone. Ah, And so it adds question into the moment. Why two runners? Are they the fastest two? And there's going to be a whole group of people retreating behind them. Are they being pursued in defeat? I see another man running, but but he's running alone. And so the king says he must also bring news. And the watchman calls out. He says, I think the running of the first looks like Ahamaz, the son of Zadok. So he took the longer way, but he's getting there first. And the king's like, he's a good man who comes with good news. Sweet. Ahamaz cries out to the king, All is well. Thinking, that's what David would be thinking about the news that he's bringing. The rebellion has failed. That's the all is well. So he bows down, he gets to the king, they're face to face, he, he bows to the ground and he says, blessed be Yahweh your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against the Lord the king. And the king said, Awesome way to go, guys. How'd it go? What was the strategy? How did you win? Right? He's a general, right? This is what you would expect from a general king, a warrior king. The, the news of the battle, how was it won? What happened? Who went where? Did they flank? Was it a, a, a whip around? Like, how do we do this, right? Every one of you has probably seen a movie with a charging cavalry and they try and slice through, and you're like, oh, they penetrated to the third layer. It's going to happen, right? All is well. We won. And David is not interested in the battle. He's not interested in how many troops were lost. He has one question, one question. How's Absalom? I think Joab is right in 19. You wouldn't care if all of us were dead. If Absalom was alive. This is a way of identifying an idol that your king has. He's not thinking about the good of the people. He's not thinking about the good of the battlers. He's not worried about the families who lost soldiers. He should be concerned with the fallout. Because everyone who fought on that field is an Israelite or loyal to Israel, and to Yahweh. David's chief concern should not be with the one, but the many. How's my son? How's my son? How is Absalom? (sighs) Is it well with the young man Absalom? Somehow this insurrectionist usurper is a young man? It took him four years to plot to take your throne from you. How's the young man? <laughs> Joab knows David better than Ahamaz. So Ahamaz starts telling stories. Well, see, when... When see what ha- happened was when Joab sent the king's servant, uh, your servant, uh, me. I see um, a great. There was like a big. See something happened. Yeah, I don't really know. Sounds like a Pharisee is having a conversation with Jesus. Jesus asked him a question. and They're like, I don't know. Joab was right. Ahamaz should not have been a messenger that day. Behold, the Cushite came. He might have come second, but he tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The Cushite man comes and he says, good news for my Lord the King, for Yahweh has delivered you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you? King's got the same question. Is it well with the young man, Absalom? The Cushite answers. Listen to the beauty and power of this answer. May the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be like That young man. Wow. Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary says the major truth comes from a minor character. Not well worded. The major truth comes from a minor character. He gets to be the hero by announcing good news that the enemies of David have not prevailed David as king and therefore his kingdom and therefore Yahweh's kingdom is delivered it's delivered against all insurrectionists all usurpers you are free the kingdom is no longer in jeopardy What happened to Absalom? One of the things that this young hero does is he pulls Absalom from a lesser identity that David is holding dear to a greater identity that's actually a real assessment of who Absalom is. Not where he came from, but who he is. Absalom is not David's son more than he is the usurper of God's decrees. Than he is the rebel against Yahweh's anointed one. Which is a greater identity, David's your dad or you rose up against Yahweh? And all who rise up against Yahweh will fail. They will, in the end, be judged and condemned. As pastor, when I talk to, to non believers, even nominal believers, people who think they love Jesus, care about the Bible, I've always got one primary goal. Certainly, it's to introduce them to Jesus, right? But my method of attack is to attack their pride. I throw every sword stroke I have at pride, that's what I do. When God blesses, works. The dead men are mortally slain. That life could begin, made alive together with Christ. That's the goal. Attacking ego, attacking pride. That's my battle plan every time. But there's something different that is wrong in the church today. And, and I'm telling you, as long as I've been a pastor, I've been on the hunt to understand this idea. So seriously, all the way back to like 2006 when we started the church, I realized that there was something in me that was joyful about the destruction of the enemies of God that I cannot effectively communicate to the people I usually am talking to. Believers, by and large, certainly exceptions, but by and large, my experience is that the downfall of the enemies of God becomes a theological strain on the hearts and minds of many believers today. Why are we rejoicing that the Egyptian army pursuing Israel drowns in the sea. Remember Moses' sister? She's the least effective sermon I've ever given. You can go back and listen to it if you want. Exodus 15. Miriam, the sister of Moses, is singing about the downfall of the enemies of Israel, the downfall of those pursuing Moses and his people. And I tell you on that day, there was no hemming and hawing in the mouths of the believers. There was no question, is this okay? Are we supposed to do this? Are we allowed to rejoice in the destruction of our enemies? Osama bin Laden gets killed. And I know most Christians who I interacted with for weeks and weeks and weeks, were like, I don't know how to feel about this. Are we, are we supposed to be glad that, that people die? Are we, right? Do you, are you feeling the tension I'm talking about? Am I talking to the correct room? Absalom is an idol for David. And we are more worried about humans. Say this very carefully, I hope. We tend to be far more worried about ourselves than we are the dignity and honor of God's name, his purposes, his kingdom work. I think this lack of celebration in the destruction of evil is really unsettled pride. Now some of you might not like that thought. I'm okay. I'm going to tell you lots of things I hope that you don't like. Because I have to read them and not like them too. But My highest loyalty isn't to what I like. It's got to be to the word. It's got to be to the revelation. The Cushite messenger is right. It's right. The preserving of God's kingdom necessarily involves the perishing of its enemies. We've far enough removed ourselves from Hitler that I think we can be like, yeah, Hitler dead, good. Right? Why Hitler and not Osama? Why? Why? Because we're too close, because we're unsure, because we're not steady. I say this boldly and I feel it trepidatiously. Okay? Are all people made in the image of God? Yes. Do they have inherent dignity? Yes. Do they forfeit that dignity in murder? Yes. Yes, why? Because in killing people, you attack the image of God in rebellion. And we have to be very, very clear about this idea. Can you bring up Genesis 9-6 for us? Happy fun talk today, huh? Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Is that vague? Should government go around murdering its citizens? Should citizens go around murdering other citizens? Does the state have a responsibility to preserve and protect life? Yes. David had a responsibility that he shirked that day, that he shirked many days. Let's go back and retrace these difficult steps. In David's loss of Absalom that day, he failed as king. He failed as a general. He failed as a judge. Remember, David is the highest court in Israel. David abdicates his authority Over and over and over again that brings us to this day. He abdicates his authority in failing to execute justice concerning Absalom's murder of Amnon. He also abdicates his authority because he leads Absalom to return to Judah. But keeps him from his presence. Step two. Step three is he leads Absalom to full reinstatement in Jerusalem. And four years later, those, quote, mercy, close quote, they weren't mercy. They were selfish. As this exposes, David is unwilling to hold his son to the same standard that everybody else has to live with by God's decree. How often has favoritism for a son or sons led to the downfall of people, things, places, situations throughout Samuel? Book one, book two. At any point in David's downward spiral of apathy and abdication, he could have stopped it. He could have lived up to his holy office. David was Yahweh's chosen king. And that title is more important, weird to say, but true, than being Absalom's dad. Yahweh wanted justice executed upon Absalom. And some of you say, whoa. That's a little more definitive than I'm comfortable with. Okay, I'm not here to make you comfortable. I'd like to, but I can't. Do you know why? Because we got the preview. We got the preview. We know what Yahweh wants to happen to Absalom. We got it all the way back in 2 Samuel 17. The second half of verse 14 reads... For Yahweh had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. Why? 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 So, read it. Is there anything ambiguous about that? Anything vague, unclear? Any bushes to run around? Or is that crystal clear? Yahweh is seeking Absalom's death because it's what justice demands. It's a long way to go to get justice. Isn't it? It's a deep, deep spiral. All of this death in David's household has an origin point, though, doesn't it? Where does all of this death come from? Son after son, the violence of his daughter, the over and over and over. It all comes from David's sin. All of it. David in his own household has brought about these devastations through his greedy lust, his murderous desire, his compulsive secrecy. We could wordsmith a really long list here, right? This is all David's fault. And David knows it. He knows it. This is where his sorrow comes from. Stay with me, please. David is agonized when he looks back on these years knowing that he's already lost a son almost immediately, right? And and then he's lost another son because a different son murdered that son because that son had violated, catastrophically violated one of David's daughters. Lost And violence and death rolling through his family like a boulder that's running, picking up steam downhill. David knows the origin point of this death. How's my son Absalom? How's the young man? How's this little boy? David sees all the death, all the murder, all the violence over and over and over. Having an alpha point that belonged first to him. He did this. Bathsheba and Uriah are the alpha point for all of this death and guilt and sorrow and destruction. At any point, it should have stopped. It could have stopped with justice. David is bound in his own guilt. And it is his compounding guilt that is driving this compounding grief. This is not just true in David's life. This is true in your life. This is true in my life. David's grief is founded and formed in the question When will the death in my house end? When will the violence in my house end? When is this dynasty going to be free from these sins and these patterns and these compounding interests? David knows that true grace comes in the face of our guilt before a holy God. David knows this. That's the theological witness of this text. At any point in this downward spiral, if David had given justice, death stops. If David has ceased to allow the perpetual advance of these violences by by man, should his blood be accounted for? Absalom should have died years earlier. In just execution by the state, not by an unjust executed, by an unjust state. Remember, the sin of Absalom has never been in dispute. Everyone knows that he is a murderer, and God's law demands that he be executed. So what, when does it Stop. When does the death stop? When does the murder stop? When does the violence stop? It's not just David, is it? It's it's not just David's family, is it? When does the death and the sorrow cease? When is light going to pierce through all this darkness? David knows he's guilty. Even Joab, who by all means is the strongest, strangest character in this whole series. The Cushite man is right. The enemies of God must be slain. They must come to an end. For the kingdom to be safe, the enemies must perish. Perish. But David's response, my son, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you? David is offering self-atonement for the murderer. Do you taste the gospel yet? Can you see it? It's vague. It's almost on the horizon like a runner, a messenger bringing the news to us, isn't it? This has always been and always will be pointing to our need for an eternal son of David to come and put an end to death. And conquer the grave and promise an end to sorrow and grief. To be that shining light that comes in the morning that evaporates all of the mist of evil. That sends darkness far away, expiating it from our presence. You see the messenger yet? Joab says to David... The king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. When the king is in sin, the people are harmed. David's grief over Absalom has actually made a victorious battle party sneak in to the city. And we're told by the narrator that that sneaking in is akin to those who are so filled with shame and guilt because they ran from the battle rather than standing and fighting. The kingdom is safe and the people don't get to celebrate. There's no party because the king has his priorities misaligned. And his hopes unfounded. The reality of the world around him is not in his grasp. It's everybody sneaking into the city. So Joab comes and this is like, if you ever want to see somebody shoot down somebody else and obliterate any argument before there can ever be pushback, this is it. He machine guns thoughts at David, hoping that all of them will put his grief to bed. Listen to this speech. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king's grieving his son. He's not victoriously celebrating with us. Okay, okay, okay. Then Joab came into the house to the king and says, are you ready? You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. Wow, take that shotgun blast to the heart. Is there hyperbole there? I mean, yeah, not even a little. Yes! But is he right? It's uncomfortable for me to say that Joab is right. Because he's often kind of not right. And then he's been sort of more right. And then he's totally right. Do you know who loves their enemies? God. Do you know who hates his enemies? David's totally off kilter, and he is failing, massively failing. You have made it clear today, he says, that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. It's not really fair, but it's kind of true, and it's certainly true enough that the point lands now, therefore, Joab gives him clear instruction Go out, speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by Yahweh, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come from you up until now. Joab has united the grief and failure of old to the grief and failure of the present, and he's giving him one outlet Go be king. Go celebrate victory. You want to grieve, do it privately. This public nonsense is unfitting the office and the truth of the day. Your kingdom lives. Your throne secured. And the people who gave it to you, God's instruments of restoration, they will all leave you. If you are not the right king, you should be. Just as they left Saul. King arose, took his seat at the gate. People are all told, behold, the king is sitting at the gate, and all the people came before their king. Pause. We'll pick it up next week. Here's the thought. David's compounding guilt has a home, as does yours, as does mine. When we fail to give to the Lord the grief that he purchased, we will compound that grief over and over and over. Because the truth is, death will end. Grief and sorrow, they will end. My buddy Jeff Mingi says, all those things have an expiration date. We just can't read it yet. <laughs> it's printed and known, but not by us. Take your guilt and grief to where it belongs, at the foot of a Roman cross, where God defeated death by surrendering himself to it that he would unite his people in resurrection and eternal life. That is the truth by which we must live. Amen. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning that you see our gross need and graciously meet it. You see that we are hypocrites And backsliders, you see that we are sinners of the highest order. But who else are you supposed to use to bear good news? Who else will you determine to use but those fragile and tiny lives? Lord, may we know it is the true son of David who dies to bear our grief, not to give us grief. Lord, we are grateful this morning that you carry away our sorrows, that you have settled our debts. Lord, we acknowledge the debts that we have owed, and we glory and celebrate your victory over our debts, that we do not live eternally condemned, but instead we are raised in newness of life. Lord, lead us to glory in the truth that you have supplied the heavenly storehouse with unlimited provisions for us. May we believe that in our minds and our hearts, and would you bear it out in our lives. We beg in Jesus' name, and all God's people agree.